into it. What I want to do this morning is just think about uh, this moment when Peter is uh, speaking to the crowd. Something amazing has just happened, and we looked at that last week, where um, people are speaking in languages that they've not learnt, and uh, people are hearing them, and they're all a little bewildered. And I suspect that that bewilderment was not just um, in uh, those who were hearing, but I suspect it was in everyone. I wonder how many of you are looking forward to seven o'clock this evening, where the Prime Minister will uh, give us another briefing. These briefings that happen every week, uh, every night rather, are kind of a way of getting the story uh, clear. Now, I don't know what your um, situation's been with your friends or in your household, but well, me and Maggie, we we debated this long and hard about what should happen. And we're kind of surprised that he's not called us yet because we've got some good ideas about how he can take the next uh, steps because everybody wants to get the story straight, get the story clear. What's going to happen? What does this mean? And where we pick the story up in the book of Acts is exactly at that moment where uh, they asked the question, what does this mean? So uh, I, I think if, uh, Tony, you can find Morag and Ewan, uh, then hopefully Ewan should be on screen and should be able to speak. Ewan, can we hear you? Hello? Yeah, we got you. Right. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own songs. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens and above and, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made, you have made, you have made known to the, me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath and he would place on of his descendants on his throne. 
Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he would not abandon to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. With many others' words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Fantastic. Thanks, uh, Ewan. That's a long, that's a long passage, but thank you uh, for reading it. When we read scripture, what happens is that we read their story. And we read their story to find out, well, what was going on and, and, and what was happening within their story? And ultimately, um, you know, and some of you will have heard this many times before, but although the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, in many senses, it might have been better uh, known to us as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it is the work of the Spirit um, in their story. And when we, in our 21st century, in our particular moment, read the book of Acts, then what we're doing is we're reading their story, but we're also then asking, how might this give us hope for our story? What sort of God do we have? What might we expect God to do? And how might we respond? And if we listen carefully and closely, we might hear moments where they explain things and they present things in ways that become a little bit of a challenge, because to be honest, the danger for each one of us at every stage, and it's been, the, I guess, it, in a sense, it's been the sort of the story and the temptation for the, the church as a whole for 2000 years is we make God in our own image and then we get disappointed when he doesn't do what we want him to do. So we need to pay attention, pay attention to what's happening there. Pay attention to the way they see things in order that we might have new hope for what God can do amongst us. This speech, this story begins because they say, what's happening? What does it mean? Just take a note for a moment what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, we've had a spiritual experience, ah, and it's been fantastic. We don't know exactly what it is, but it was great. And just getting on the spiritual experience, he doesn't say that at all. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That you might have expected him to say, let me explain what happened to all these individuals. No, 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 no. He's going to say something on a much bigger scale than that. It's not a spiritual experience. It's something much bigger. He's going to say everything has been turned on its head. There's a new world. And he's going to do it in a speech. Now, when you uh, read the book of Acts, what you'll begin to notice quite a lot is that these sermons or these speeches 
form quite a lot of the Book of Acts. It's, it was like a device that was well known when Luke was writing. Historians and, and playwrights would use it as a way really of helping people understand what was going on behind the scenes. A speech is after all exactly that. It's someone who says, let me tell you the real story. Back to those daily briefings, someone from the government stands and says, let me tell you the story we want you to know. Let me explain what's really happening. And Peter does this. He stands up in front of the crowd and says, let me explain what's really going on. In order to make sense of that long speech, which you and read really well, it is a long speech. He says three things. He says, there's a promise kept, there's a world changing event, and it'll bring you to a question. You've got a decision to make. Let me just look at those bit by bit. He starts with this idea of a promise kept. You might have caught it, but he begins by quoting from a prophet in the Old Testament called Joel. And he says, in the last days, the spirit will be poured out. Now, when Joel was giving that prophecy about 500, 600, 700 years earlier, what Joel was prophesying is that there would be a moment where God would do something and all the nations would come to Jerusalem and the very act that God had always wanted for Israel would come true, that they would be a blessing to the whole world. And it would involve the spirit and the spirit would take up everybody, whether you were young or old, whether you were male or female, whether you were in a place of authority or you had no position of responsibility at all, you'd get in on this. And Joel finishes that little prophecy by saying, and there'd be judgment if you turn it down. And Peter stops before that. And Peter says, let me reframe to you the Old Testament prophets. Let me reframe to you the songs and the prayers and the hopes of those people. Let me tell you how those promises are being kept now because of Jesus. And he does it with Joel, and then he does it with uh, the, the, the references to King David, King David, the greatest king they've ever known. And Peter says, let me tell you about a new king. And the promises that David could see almost dimly have now happened and have happened in Jesus. Peter reframes the past and says, let me put it differently to you, because actually a world changing event has happened. And he points to Jesus. And he says, because of Jesus, everything has changed. And it's kind of like, well, it's something that we know, isn't it? Even if you're not a believer in our world today, you kind of know the significance of Jesus because every year it's, well, it's 2020 right now, isn't it? In fact, kind of, you know, officially it's 2020 AD because BC before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, actually something happened. And years ago, years ago, people who took perhaps Jesus more seriously said, because of Jesus, we're gonna rename time. We're gonna count differently. It's kind of right, quite remarkable when you think about it. Because of Jesus, because Jesus came, everything changed it's not a personal experience that matters it's actually so much more listen i'll read it again just know what you've already heard fellow israelites listen to this 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you know. In other words, Jesus came and he did these works of compassion and he blew your minds. You know that you were there. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. His death was not a tragedy. God knew and knew what was going to happen and had a plan and wove it into his plan. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. The resurrection. This is the centerpiece. Jesus came. He lived amongst us. He was handed over to death and he was raised from the dead. And if you want, those three verses are at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And, and I say that not because probably you didn't know it, but just to remind you that there are some days where you wonder whether you're a real Christian because you don't feel things that you think you're supposed to feel. You might not have had the great experiences that you think you're supposed to have experienced. You look at other people's and their stories and you go, their story sounds so much exciting, more exciting than mine. But actually, I want to tell you that if you hold to this, that Jesus came, that he died and he rose from the dead, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You identify with Christ. You're a follower. And if you live your life, allow that to shape your life, then actually you're part of it. Some people who are not sure where they stand with faith, it's kind of easier to think, well, you've just had an experience, haven't you? You're kind of spiritual. You know that sort of language of you're just spiritual. And it kind of feels okay to say in our world, well, I'm spiritual or I have great spirituality. But the New Testament won't really let you get away with that. And nor did it at the time. There was a, interestingly, there was a historian at this time called Josephus. This is a, a bust of him. <laughs> uh, it looks like if that was an accurate uh, sort of sculpture of him. He had kind of a big nose, didn't he? Let's be honest. But Josephus was a historian of the day. He was Jewish in background, but he kind of had quite a, 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 a sort of a position of authority and responsibility with Romans. He was kind of well thought of. And he wrote a number of books at that time. And Josephus, along with the New Testament, is where we get most of the source material to know what was going on in and around the time of Jesus. One of the books he wrote, a uh, long book, was called Antiquities of the Jews. And this is a quote from that book. Josephus is not a Christian. That's important for you to know. He never was a Christian, all right? But you, you need to hear. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when upon the accusation of the principal men amongst us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who'd first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things, and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Now, historians will argue about that particular little um, quotation, because it looks like perhaps some people have inserted things afterwards. In other words, they've sort of messed a bit about with the uh, script 
and made him look more Christian than he might have been. But even the most cynical, even the most skeptical of historians say, Josephus said there was a man called Jesus who did do surprising deeds. He was a teacher. He did win over many Jews. He was called the Christ. And Pilate condemned him to the cross. And there was a story of resurrection and the tribe of the Christians has still not to this day disappeared. I kind of emphasizing this because if you and I are going to live in such a way that we lived in a compelling story of the mission of God, it's really important. And I think this is why Luke does this so early in his story of the mission of the church. It's so important for you to know this is not about a spiritual, mystical, privatized experience. It's about history. It's about Jesus. He's the world-changing one. God raised this Jesus to life, Peter said, and we are witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord, a word that many Romans and Greeks would understand, emperor, ruler, king, and messiah word that all the Jews would understand, the longed for deliverer. And that's the kind of the climax of Peter's speech. Because God raised Jesus to life. What he has done, he's poured out the Holy Spirit, the life of God. So know this, there is a new Lord, there is a new Messiah, there is one ruling, there is one who oversees it all. And the people said, if that's true, what must we do? How do we get involved? How do we get engaged with this? What does it mean to me? And Peter said, repent. Turn and, and kind of, uh, you might have seen on, on streets and uh, in cities, people with a big sort of banner walking around saying, repent. And uh, generally they say it in such a way that it kind of, makes it sound as though it's to make you feel bad. And it's not really, it's about change, change your thinking, be persuaded, know there's a different truth, repent, turn around and be baptized. Identify yourself with Jesus and his people and you will be forgiven your sins and you will receive the spirit. This life of God is for you. This was the major thing about Peter's speech sermon. And Luke puts it there at the beginning of his story about the mission of God, because he wants, to, he wants you to know you can get in on this. You're included. And the promise, Peter will say, is for you, great. Your children, just think that through for a moment. You that are in, that are part of this, the promise is for your children. Your children can access this. And for your children's children through all generations. You can start a new story in your own families. There's one last thing I want to say. When I was reading this, um, it starts with this phrase. And it's kind of like a phrase that it's easy to overlook. And 
Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. It's easy for us to think that Peter's just sort of doing it on his own, but he's not. He's got 11 other guys, the, these apostles with him. Some of you will be old enough and you've been around church long enough to remember the days I'm going to talk about. But when I started out being a church minister um, in those days, what would happen is on a Sunday morning, do you remember when we used to meet in church? On a Sunday morning, the minister would stand at the pulpit and um, there would be people like me, who was the assistant minister, I'd sit on the on the platform behind him facing the congregation and alongside me there were the other leaders of the church the sort of voluntary leaders of the church and we were all dressed in suits and we all had to sit sort of facing the congregation for the full service <laughs> while they spent the full service looking at us or at least at the preacher it was quite it was it was quite an uneasy uneasy um uh, situation I often would find myself quite embarrassed sort of looking into the face of the people looking back and so I kind of spend most of the service just trying to avoid their eyes or looking away but the picture is one I want you to get Peter stands up and he gives the sermon and there are 11 the disciples the apostles behind him now, there are some times where a preacher preaches a sermon, like I'm doing right now, and you're in front and you're sort of, you're hearing it. And it's kind of like when we get to that great sort of punchline, if you will, of the sermon, what must we do? You need to get, you need to change. You need to get baptized. You need to be in on it. Don't miss out. It's like for you, you're going, yes, that's for me. I need to do something. But there are other times where you're behind the preacher, as it were. I've got a picture, you see, that these 11 are standing behind Peter and they're hearing him explain it to the crowd, knowing that within days and weeks, they would have to do that too. They would have to tell a similar message. They would have to explain what's going on. And I was thinking about the situation we're in and I was thinking about how we the followers of Jesus who've heard the sermon before and have given our lives to him what do we say in days like this and there's loads of things that we would say and in the days to come and in the weeks to come as things begin to go a little bit back to the way they were. I don't think we'll go back to the way they were completely for quite a while, but as they go back, some of you will be, some of you that are not being working will go back to work and you'll have the conversations and you'll meet family in different ways. What will you say about this virus situation? What will a disciple of Jesus, what will someone who believes Jesus is Lord say about days like this? This is not very profound what I'm going to say, but I was thinking the first thing we might say is this situation that we've lived through for the last two months has hit us like a ton of bricks because it, it made us face up to the fact that we are not as in control as we thought we were. All around the world, everything has stopped for a period because we can't control things. And it's interesting, isn't it, that when people are trying to work out, could we have done it differently? Could, it have, could the governments of around the world, could they have done things differently? And of course, the answer is yes, they could. 
but in some ways i wonder whether some of that conversation is about can we control can we get control back over the situation whereas actually what we end up saying to one another is we were never in control and something like this trips us up and things that you thought you were certain about over the last decade it's just been one thing after another that feels like we're just not as certain as any, anymore whether it's finance whether it's terrorism whether it's a, um, the fires the global fires whether it's the floods in our own country whether it's the virus there's so much that you thought you were certain about that you could build your future on you can't even book a holiday now where are your foundations and i wonder whether the third thing we might want to say is but in the midst of this, there's a king you can trust. You see, Peter stood up and said, there are things happening that you don't understand. But let me explain. There's a new king. Maybe those of us who stand behind Peter and go, yeah, we get this. We understand you're preaching to the choir. We've got it. We need to find new ways of representing the same message to say there's a new king and he invites you to be his i wonder i wonder what that will look like when it's your voice these 11 who will have to go and preach the gospel i wonder what you would say i'm gonna have a time for a moment where um, as we've done week by week, you can use the chat either for your prayer at this point or for your question or for your sense of what God is saying or indeed for your hope. And I wonder just for a moment or two whether where you are, you might want to just write your prayer in the light of what you've heard in the light of what you were thinking while i was talking what would you pray next what would you ask what do you think god's saying i'm going to ask ian um just to begin playing and perhaps uh as those prayers and thoughts are being put up then we'll move to communion and uh perhaps ian you can lead us into communion as uh, you lead us musically and then uh, you lead us into communion for us. But just while that's happening, where you are, I wonder if you can write your prayers, your questions, your reflections in the light of the sermon. <laughs>